Our lesson this morning comes from 1 Timothy chapter 2, looking at uh, prayer and, yes, the role of women in the church. And we know as we go through the Bible, we find that everyone has a role in the church. And so as we're going to go through this, we're going to see not only in this chapter, but in the next chapter as well. And we find really throughout, especially in the New Testament, we find that mothers and fathers have specific roles. We know that children have specific roles. We know that preachers, elders, and deacons have uh, uh, specific, specific roles, as do members of the Lord's Church as well in general. But we're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 2. I want to show what the Holy Spirit teaches through Paul concerning prayer and the role of women in the church. And I word it that way on purpose, because there are some today who will go to 1 Timothy 2 and say, well, this is all a cultural thing. And that's how they would try to get around the idea about women's role here in 1 Timothy 2. However, we have to remember that Paul is an inspired man of God. This is the same man who met Christ in the road to Damascus. This is the same man who was converted when Ananias came to him. This is the same man who was given the Holy Spirit by God. And we find that he teaches and concerning these types of things, and not just here, but other places as well, concerning the role of different individuals in the church and in the home and so to pick one out and say, well, this is a cultural thing, would go against Scripture. Many today have various ideas about these topics, prayer and the role of women in the church. But let's keep in mind what we want to know is what the Bible teaches. It is our guide, and so we want to know what the Bible teaches. We want to begin by looking at 1 Timothy chapter 2, looking at Pray for everyone. Remember, we've talked about this uh, in the past. I always bring this up, I think, when it comes, especially time for elections, those types of things. We talk about the importance of praying for everyone before the election, after the election, and so on. And we want to begin here looking at 1 Timothy chapter 2, looking at verse 1. We find the types of prayers are mentioned here in verse 1. He says, Therefore I exhort or encourage, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made, now notice, for all men. Pray for everyone. Pray for everyone. He mentions here four types of prayers. He mentions first a supplication, which is a prayer for a recognized need. We also have petition, which we might say is just a general prayer. Then we have intercessions, which are prayers on behalf of others. And then we have thanksgiving, which are prayers that express gratitude. Those are the four types of prayers that he mentions there. And he says we're to pray these types of prayers. He says for what? He says for all men there in verse 1. He says that he exhorts that supplications as prayer for needs of what? All men. He says I exhort that not only supplications but prayers as a general prayer be made for all men. The intercessions which is prayers on behalf of others be made for all men. Thanksgiving as prayers what? For all men. Do you ever thank God for those who are faithful men who love the Lord? Do you thank the Lord for those individuals who have done things that are good and right and pleasing in the sight of God who have been a strong influence upon you? Yes, we have reason to thank God for individuals. And so we find that here in verse 1 of 1 Timothy chapter 2. But he also mentions here in verses 2 and 3 what I call the power of prayer in verses 2 and 3. He says here, looking at verse 2, he says, For kings and all who are in authority. 
You think about that for a second. For kings and all who are in authority. Now, we may say sometimes, well, these people are the ones who need it the most. Well, I'll let you decide that. But everyone needs prayer, right? Everyone needs to be prayed for to show our concern and love for them, just as we saw in verse 1. We mentioned here specifically for kings and all who are in authority. There are no doubt numerous stressful jobs that have numerous high demands, and I can't think of anything more than those who are in leadership position here, as he mentions here in verses 2 and 3, kings and all who are in authority. Now, we think about this, we reference this many times to governors, presidents, and so on, but wouldn't this also apply when he says all who are in authority? Wasn't it also apply to elders who are in the church as well? They are men who are in authority, aren't they? He says in verse 2 that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. There's a reason why we pray for them, right? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence there in verse 2. Prayer can accomplish what other things cannot because God answers our prayer. He may answer them in ways which we didn't think He would or in ways which we think, well, maybe I wish it was something different. But God always answers the prayer that we offer up to Him. He says in verse 2 that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. Today we live in a time that's not always so easy. And depending on where you may live in our country or live in our world, it can be much more difficult than other places. But our desire as Christians, he says here in verse 2, is that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life. That is the opposite of a life that is designed to bring turmoil and chaos to the world. Because there are some around us today who that's all they seem to live for. But the Christian desires a quiet and peaceful life. He says, in all godliness and reverence, that is, we want to have a quiet and peaceful life which we are allowed to follow God without being hindered by others. He says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Think about this for a second. When Paul wrote these words, the Roman Empire had a tremendous power and many evil leaders, including the emperor we know as Nero, which would be one of their leaders as well. One of the things that Nero is known for in history is that there was a time when he would take Christians and place them on poles and light them on fire to light the pathway to his palace. That man needs to be prayed for, doesn't he? All leaders need our prayers, secular and otherwise. We look at verse 4. Again, the purpose of such prayers is mentioned in verse 4. Who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We pray for all men because we want all men to ultimately come to the obedience of the gospel. We look at verse 6 as well. Notice what he says here. Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Did Christ give himself as a ransom for those leaders as well? Well, yes, he did. He desires all men to be saved. Going back to verse 5 here next, as is mentioned here, the mediator. He says here again, Paul speaking, he says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. What is a mediator? Well, a mediator is one who intervenes between two, either in order to make either in order either to make or restore peace and friendship. 
He says here in verse 5, there's one mediator between God and men. And you notice what Paul just omitted? That there's no need for us to go to a priest and have him pray for us. Meaning, because we know some today, some of our neighbors and friends are of the Catholic faith and similar like faith. They'll go to individuals and say, well, will you go to God for me in the sense that they have to go to him in order for God to hear their prayer. But we look back in verse 1, what did Paul say? He exhorted men to pray for everyone, right? Again, well, wait a second, I thought we had to go to someone else to have them pray for us. But when we're in sin, we often do that. But we have to do that every single time? No. He says here in verse 5, there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That when we say, that's why we say we pray to God through Christ, because He is our mediator. Looking next to verse 7, we see Paul's role here in chapter 2. Paul was appointed by God to proclaim the gospel. He says here in verse 7, For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. Appointed by who? By God. Right? We know when, upon Saul's conversion, when Saul was, after he was blinded on the road from Damascus, that God speaks to Ananias and says that Paul is a what? A chosen vessel, right? And that's what Paul mentions here in 1 Timothy. For he says, For, I, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. He's saying the words I'm speaking to you are truth. Now Paul, we know also, as we also learn from the book of Acts as well, he performed miracles because he was an inspired man of God. He had the Holy Spirit. He performed miracles. He could lay hands on people and have them receive the Holy Spirit, which is a whole other topic for another time. But he couldn't do those things if he did not have the Holy Spirit given him by God. That's why he can say in verse 7, he said, I'm not lying, I'm telling the truth. Why? Because God is approving of him. And we know that, as we've seen many times before, that when a preacher and apostle would speak, they perform a miracle to confirm that their word was from God. And Paul had done that already in the book of Acts. And so we find here in verse 7, he says, that I, am, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. He said, I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. We next notice, and I know some of our Bibles will include verse 8 in under the heading men and women in the church and include verse 8 in there. But really this is a continuation of, verse, of verses 1 through 7. As you see here, he says, he talks about how men are to, are to pray. Now you'll notice, if you go back to chapter 2, verse 1, the men there is actually a reference to all mankind. But in chapter 2, verse 8, men is exclusive to males. If you were to look up that Greek word, it actually changes from being generic in verse 1 to being specific in verse 8 to men who are what? Praying. Well, when are men alone to pray? Publicly. In the worship assembly, right? Look at verse 8. He says, I desire that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. He's not talking about lifting up this isn't literally lifting up holy hands. The idea that they are holy before God. They are without. They are righteous men. They are good, godly men. Are, you know, you don't just pull the, the crook off the street and say, "Hey, come in and pray for us," do we? We pick. We those who lead are those who are faithful servants of God. He says, "I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, 
lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And so what are they to do? There are to be those who are praying, lifting up their holy hands, that is, righteous hands before God, while believing that God answers prayers and does so according to His will. If we go to God and we pray, doubting God's response, friends, we've already just defeated the whole purpose of prayer in that point, haven't we? We go to God and we pray in faith that God will answer prayers, even if it's not according to what we think it should be, Right? These holy men, righteous men, are to pray without wrath and without doubting. Now we get into this next section here which deals with what we call godly women. And this can be applied not just in those in the church, especially when we're talking about here how it's mentioned specifically about the way a person dresses. This can be applied across the board, we can say, right? And don't get ahead of me, we know in chapter 3 that that Paul starts talking about men who are going to be leaders, desire to be leaders. But we also know that when we talk about here in chapter 2 with how women adore themselves, we know that men today as well don't always do very good and it comes to to how they clothe themselves as well. But let's get into the text here looking at verse 9. He says, Paul here in verse 9 says, In like manner, as he addresses Christian women, he says, In like manner also that the women... The women, notice how he phrases that. The women is a reference to Christian women, right? You try to tell a non-Christian this and, and the worldly, a sinful person this, and what's going to happen? They're probably not going to be very pleased with what you have to say. It's a command to all mankind, but here he mentions here the women. It's a reference to Christian women. He says here, adore themselves or clothe themselves. He says, in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. What the Apostle Paul is talking about here is we're not to do anything that would draw attention to us in an ungodly fashion. We get attention draws to you sometimes right when wear a new shirt, doesn't it? Oh yeah, I like that. That's nice. Is that ungodly to have that attention? No. But it's ungodly to have attention because something is low cut, because something is very, very short, because something is very, very revealing or tight, and the list goes on and on. That's not modest apparel, as we mentioned here in verse 8, or verse 9, rather. So they are instructed to adore themselves modestly without drawing attention uh, to themselves. Again, this attention will be that which you call a luring eye. He says, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. The idea, as we're going to continue to read through here in verse 10 and following, is that what should, what should be, how the woman should clothe themselves is with godliness. With those, which, which is godliness and righteousness and not physical things, not to be obsessed with, with these things. Looking at verse 10, it says, but, what, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Now, which is proper, he says, which is fitting, right? For women professing godliness. There's those who claim to be a Christian should do what? They should take concern and consider what they wear and how they adore themselves, right? We look around us today, we leave this building, we go to any restaurant, any store, you're going to find examples, unfortunately, of those who have not taken consideration to how they clothe themselves. Female or male, right? And he says in verse 10, but you adorn themselves, why? He says in verse 10, which is proper 
for women professing godliness. So those who profess godliness will consider such things that are mentioned there in verse 9. With good works, those good works no doubt is a reference to those who are laboring for the Lord, those who are involved with the church, laboring in various ways, which tells us there, you think about this for a second, because we know in verse 11, Paul starts talking about ways in which a woman is to be submissive, but he mentions first of all in verse 10, he mentions still good works. Before he ever talks about, you might say, restrictions, the first thing he mentions in verse 10 is good works. And I will say freely that I get just a little bit agitated when people talk about the role of women and all they talk about is what women cannot do. Because I think that places a lot of limits and places a lot of false ideas in the eyes of people today, especially our ladies. There are plenty of positions in the church which ladies are more than welcome to be a part in and to teach even, yes, in the proper setting. I think about, if you ever read his newsletter, and I encourage you to do so, but there's Stacey Ferguson, who I've traveled with, Chuck and Jody's traveled with, Lisa and Chloe have as well, and going on his mission trips to the islands and things like that, and sometimes you read about how his wife had a Bible study with a woman. What is she doing? She's being involved in good works, right? And what? In the proper setting, as we're going to see here in verse 11 in, in a moment. So we have to be very careful that when we read through this that we don't focus on the negative over, overly too much. We know there are those that go beyond the Scriptures, and that's why we find here a reminder about these things. But we have to make sure that we're not just talking about the no's. We're talking about where also women can be of service in the church. Looking at verse 11, he says, Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. So we find here Christian women are called to be submissive, and like men, and men are to be submissive as well to God and His laws. What we find here in verse 11 and 12, he's talking about specifically in a worship service, women are not permitted to have a leadership position, that is, they're not permitted by, as we find here Paul speaking, by inspiration, to be preachers or to have a public prayer, those types of things. He says, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. He says, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Now the inspired apostle here instructs in verse 12 that women are not to have authority over men. Silence here indicates she is not to teach teach publicly in the presence of men. Notice there it says, or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Since silence here indicates she, she again is not able to teach publicly in the presence of, of men, women have or have authority to teach a ladies' class, conduct ladies' days, to have retreats, to go on mission trips where opportunities are able for them to teach again in a proper setting. And so I say that to say that we have to be careful. We don't just read the things about not permitting, but also remember where women are more than able and capable to scripturally do many good things as well. We find in verses 13 to 14 that Paul gives some reasons why. He doesn't just say this and just move on. Looking at verse 13 to 14, notice what he says. He says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Now, was Adam deceived? Yes, he was, but he was not the one who was deceived by Satan in the garden, was it? He was, as we know, the Bible tells us, Eve met Satan in the form of a serpent, right? And then she comes back to Adam, and they both what? They both sin against God. 
Now, we think about this idea, the priority of man, looking at verses 13 and 14, the priority here is man in creation. He says in verse 13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And then we find here the deception in Eden. We find it's true that both sinned in Eden, but Eve alone was deceived, and Adam sinned. We might say it's his eyes wide open. We know that when God spoke the command, you should not eat from the tree of good and evil, right? Knowledge of good and evil, that he spoke to Adam. It doesn't record verbatim that he actually said those things to Eve, but did Eve know those things? Yes. Because we know when Satan tempts her first, she actually repeats the command that God had already made, right? Now, let's look at verse 14 again. He says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Looking at verse 15, he says here, we talk about this salvation. He says, Nevertheless, you'll be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. This is not teaching that bearing children is going to bring you salvation. Nowhere else in the Scripture is that idea even approached, and that's not what he's talking about in verse 15. You notice there he says in verse 15, Nevertheless, you'll be saved in childbearing if they... It went from she to they, didn't it? Who's the they? Her household. If they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. To be saved, women must, like everybody else, continue in faith, love, holiness, and self-control. These sum up, you might say, the obligations of living for Christ. Thus you'll be saved by living the Christian life. No woman, no woman was ever told that childbearing will save her. There are too many situations that are out of woman's control that may prevent her from having children. If salvation was dependent upon childbearing, what about the person who was barren? We read about people who are barren in the Bible, don't we? Would that mean they're just condemned? No. So that cannot be what he's talking about in verse 15. The meaning here is that Eve, who is put as representing womankind there in verses 14 and 13, was deceived in the transgression, and because of this, you might say her sex bears restrictions and teaching. This, however, will not keep women from being saved, provided they practice the, pro the precepts of faith, which are faith, love, holiness, and self-control. That is, to live a faithful Christian life. Now, we know we look here in verses 9, 8 through 15 that Paul talks a lot about restrictions, doesn't he? We know in chapter 3, for those who desire to be leaders, Paul puts on even more for men, doesn't he? Not that it really matters. We don't have to outnumber what Paul says here. Because every person in the Lord's church has specific roles designed for us by God. When we think about what Paul has said here concerning women. Remember, this is the same apostle... He talked about how Timothy was taught by his mother and his grandmother, wasn't he? We know that also, as we mentioned this morning in Bible class, we talked about Aquila and Priscilla, right? What did they do when they met Apollos, who, who, didn't, who knew only the baptism of John? The Bible says they took him away aside privately and explained to him the scriptures more perfectly, right? The Bible doesn't say what part of teaching she had there. But she was at least present when it was going on. There's nothing done publicly there in that case. We find that they were taken aside. They took him aside privately, both of them. The point I'm making is, we look at verse, verses 13 through 15. We know that a lot of people they will look at this and say, "Well, that is anti-women." God is not anti-women, is he? 
You think about Proverbs chapter 31, the virtuous woman, an entire chapter dedicated to the, the idea of a tremendous woman, the idea of really almost an ideal bride, that type of thing. We know that women are exalted numerous times through scriptures, and they are humbled through scriptures as well, just like men. They are exalted at times, and they are humbled at times. And so what Paul is speaking here in verses 8 through 15 are the commands of God. We know that God places restrictions upon women, but he also places restrictions upon everyone, doesn't he? No one is, is told to go beyond what the Bible teaches, are they? That's a restriction. No one is given an example of us worshiping God on any day other than Sunday. That's a restriction, isn't it? Nowhere to be found in Scripture where to worship God and, and not include... When we talk about worship on the Lord's Day, the worship is always to include singing and prayer and preaching and teaching and contribution to the Lord's Supper. We find those examples and everything else is excluded, so we find restrictions, don't we? You think about the Old Testament, the Old Law, and the offerings that were to be made. You remember all the restrictions that were placed that applied to everyone? And so we have to be careful when we look at verses, look at this section. We don't allow ourselves to become offended because that's what our world today around us wants us to be, is offended. But notice what God wants us to do, and there's always a purpose behind it. We know full well that throughout the scriptures that women have influenced men and all mankind in tremendous ways. Timothy is just one example of that, isn't it? Did Mary have an example or have an influence upon Christ? Yes. Did other women have an influence on Christ? Yes. Did other women have influence on Paul? Paul mentioned several by name many times throughout Scripture. But we have to remember that everyone has a role given to us by God. Some lessons for us to think about today. Prayer is an important aspect of the Christian life. This is what we started in this, in this section earlier. We know as you look at 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, Paul simply says, pray without ceasing. doesn't mean pray 24 hours a day, but the idea is we're always praying. We're praying every time we think of something we need to pray about, something happens we're concerned about, we pray. We don't hesitate, we pray. The Christian is encouraged many times throughout Scripture to pray. We are told to make our concerns known to God through prayer, Philippians 4 and verse 6. He says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Remember that, that was praying to God, right? Another type of prayer. With thanksgiving, another type of prayer, that your request be made known to God. He says, but in everything by prayer. We pray to God. Christians should be praying people. Another lesson for us to think about is that every person has a role before God. Just as Paul describes the role of women here in chapter 2, he will in chapter 3 describe the requirements of male leadership in the church. And we know as we look at chapter 3, as we will next week, that Paul doesn't take it easy on the men either. He places some very, as, as speaking from as an inspired man of God, there are some very stringent things which must take place, which must be in place if we are to be elders or deacons in the Lord's church. The world would have us to believe such teachings are sexist when these precepts are actually biblical as they are spoken by the inspired apostle. We find throughout Scripture, remember when Paul talks about the role of husbands in the, in the home, 
He says we are to love our wives just as Christ loved the church. What did Paul do just then when he mentioned those ladies? How they are to be loved, how they are to be treated, right? And so when we look at chapter 2, we have to be careful that we don't allow ourselves to be offended by simply by what Paul says here. These are biblical, they are spoken by the inspired apostle of God. God's organization for the church must be followed if we are to be pleasing to Him. These things are not optional. We know today that as we look around us, we find people praying, so-called, in all types of fashion. We find people praying for all types of things that simply are not biblical. We find here people making prayers are extremely selfish. Prayers are aimed at materialism. Prayers are aimed at evil ideas, aimed at perhaps the idea of causing pain upon other people. We have those today, as you look around us, you have females, you have ladies in positions that are not scriptural, according to the Bible, right? We must not allow ourselves to fall into the trap to become like them. Let us be those who not only pray for our leaders, but pray often for all things. And let us be those who respect God's commands in, matters of, in, in all matters, including teaching and leadership. Because 1 Timothy chapter 2, just like many sections in chapter 3, has been attacked again and again by critics. But unlike the ideas of man today, the Word of God has not changed, has it? Over the years, we have various translations that have come out. Various, you might say, softening of the words of, of the words of God. But we can still go back and we can still look at the New Testament, the Old Testament. We can look at the Hebrew language because of things like interlinearals. And we can look at the Hebrew language of the Old Testament. We can look at the Greek language of the New Testament. We can see exactly what God wants from us. So no matter what man does or tries to do to the Word of God, our command and our desire should always be to follow God's Word in leadership and how we pray to God and in all matters. You think about for a moment during Paul's day, why do you think Paul mentioned these things? Do you think there are those in his time who are having problems with this? Absolutely. But friends, aren't there those today in our time who have problems with these things as well? That's why what Paul says still applies to us today. Let us be those who are humble enough to follow the biblical example we find in 1 Timothy 2, and let us be able to learn from those things which Paul shares with us. This morning, as you think about these things, we can help you or assist you in any way. You can come forward now. That's going to be saying, sing the song that's been selected. <laughs>